Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, come on, you already know this is where the best run. I have an interesting quote here from uh, an article in Digitalist Magazine from SAP. It's digitalistmag.com. This will set us up for what we're going to be talking about. Listen up. CFOs must recognize their roles as agents of change charged with driving technological transformation across their companies. So this is a mandate for CFOs. We're talking about the Office of Finance, the department, the team that works with CFOs. We've been talking all year here on the series. And by the way, Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio is our longest-running series of all 46 of our Game Changers-themed series here for SAP. And we're delighted to announce that they are coming back for ninth year in 2020. So what are we talking about today? Interesting. Well, we began 2019 with a flood of eager activity, and we discuss which industries would be emerging and the tech trends that would help finance and risk professionals. Yes, we're including risk professionals in our focus today. And we were busy identifying the brand new disruptive technologies, many of which were not actually brand new, but they seemed brand new because they were really coming into their own. And the industry trends where finance and risk would play a key role. Now we're going to take a look back over 2019 from the beautiful vantage point of something called hindsight and figure out perhaps which some of the predictions that we talked about on the show came to pass and which were just whoop flights of fancy pie in the sky our panel of experts will also reflect on that what's coming up in 2020 what is going to be a new decade a new year what finance professionals can look forward to it's a mixed bag of looking back and looking ahead welcome 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 let me tell you who my three experts are and then I will ask each of them to introduce themselves tell you who they are, what they do, what their company does, and you'll understand a little bit about their perspective on our topic. So in a moment, you'll be hearing from many-time returning guest Nilly Asades at the Hackett Group. Joining us today is Corey Olson at Truqua. He's one of many people from Truqua who have joined us over the years, and Michael Emerson, a newcomer to Game Changers from SAP. Welcome to my esteemed panelists. Nilly Asades, it took you so long to teach me how to pronounce your last name. You told me it rhymes with Mercedes, <laughs> and I finally get it right. So there's there's a little gold star for Bonnie. Nilly, welcome back. Please tell everybody what you do at the Hackett Group and what does this topic mean to you? Certainly. And hi, Bonnie. I'm really happy to be back. And yeah, that was the correct pronunciation. So definitely a gold star. Um, Thank you. I am the Senior Research Director for Finance and EPM at the Hackett Group. Hackett is a consulting advisory and benchmarking company. We're um, pretty much known for uh, the data-based insights we provide. I joined three years ago um, mm-hmm. after working at the Association for Finance Professionals. And my passion really is looking at finance as a value creator for the enterprise, very much aligned with the quote that Bonnie offered from the digitalist. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a background in finance, treasury, and EPM. I've been in this uh, space for over 25 years. Um, and I'm really excited to be on the show um, today because um, I have a lot of thoughts about what 2019 was like and what's going to happen next year. 
Wonderful. Thank you. I couldn't think of anybody more perfect to be on this looking back and looking ahead show. Thank you so much, Nilly Sadies. I love saying your name now. I'm sorry. <laughs> and now let's move to Corey Olson at Truqua. Corey, please introduce yourself. Tell everybody what you do at Truqua and what your perspective is on looking over the shoulder and looking into the future. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for uh, inviting me to join. So I'm Corey mm-hmm. Olson. I'm a principal consultant with Truqua. Um, at Truco, what we do is we focus on providing finance solutions to uh, different companies to help enable finance transformation, planning, budgeting, FP&A reporting, and analysis, right? So, so our goal is to work with customers to try to find out what technology piece can help them change and keep up with the pace of change. Um, over my career, I've been in, in the uh, finance and technology job field for 21 years, spent my first 10 years as an accountant all the way from being a, a um accounting trainee through through being a controller and then had the opportunity to move into the technology space so I could mm. take and leverage what I learned being a finance professional and look at what was coming now in the marketplace from a technology finance aspect to help change and change the way not only finance professionals work, but change how they analyze data and move from transactional to more of an analytical view to help drive business results. So as we look forward and see what's coming um, as, as we look backwards and see how the world changed over the last year and we're moving forward, it's, a, it's an exciting time um, and it's what kind of, not kind of, it is absolutely what drives me to keep moving forward to work with uh, different industries and different customers to keep themselves on the front edge and also be ahead of the curve of business. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you on the show, Corey. And let's go to Michael Emerson. Michael, you share a name with a very famous actor, Michael Emerson. And I was looking you up, and I kept finding his picture, and then I finally found yours. So, Michael Emerson, the real Michael Emerson, stand up and please tell everybody what you do at SAP. Go ahead. Thank you, Bonnie, for the invitation. Um, so, I am head of our FP&A product strategy um, at SAP. Uh, so, covering them, you know, our financial. Um, solutions covering uh, BPC and, and uh, SAP, SAP Analytics Cloud planning. Um, SAP, uh, it's a very large enterprise solutions uh, company. We provide systems, ERP systems. Uh, we provide a whole host of uh, uh, line of business solutions, um, for example, um, you know, Concur and Success Factors, but I don't want to get into those. Um, essentially, my background is covering finance, and, um, and enterprise development. So I have a background in enterprise solutions. I used to start, um, I started my career in uh, investment banking, building solutions for the investment bank. Um, I then worked um, in, in, uh, in finance as a financial analyst. And then on, in SAP, I've uh, been building out solutions for the line of business finance, and now I'm planning in my current role. So yeah, so a mix of finance and IT. Thank you very much. What's your thought? Has it been a tumultuous year, an exciting year for finance and risk professionals? 2019, what do you think? Looking back, Michael. So I think it's been, it's been quite mixed. I mean, we're going through a, a transition phase in my mind. Um, I think uh, it's, there are a lot of new technologies coming into play that are enabling this change. And mm-hmm. a lot of companies are understanding, okay, how am I adopting this technology to enable that? Um, I mean, you mentioned... Uh, in in the opening about the CFOs and addressing their role. Um, mm-hmm. And I think about actually beyond the CFO, like how uh, all these different uh, enablers within a company essentially engaging and working together and aligning incentives to achieve specific objectives. 
Um, so from our side, when I'm really focusing on financial plan, I'm thinking of all those people who want to engage. And I like to break down specific types of stereotyped roles, right? Um, I think uh, historically we've all thought of, you know, financial planners and demand supply planners or, or marketing planners. And I like to think that there's kind of a new breed of, uh, of planner coming into, into play at the moment. Thank you very much. Very interesting. We'll talk more about that. Welcome again to the three of you. Nilia Sadies, it's time for you to explain the quote you sent me. If our listeners today are new to the series, this is the portion of the show where I have asked my panelists in advance to send me a quote that on the surface has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. It could be from a book, a movie, a song, a phrase, a famous person, a play. And I ask them to then, in their own words, to articulate what the quote has to do with our topic today. So Nilia sent us a quote. I think you've quoted this author before, Nilly. It's from Nassim Taleb, T-A-L-E-B, author of Anti-Fragile, Things That Gain from Disorder. And little bio, Nassim Taleb is the original idiosyncratic mind behind Fooled by Randomness, The Black Swan, and Anti-Fragile, a best-selling series of books on the nature of complexity, randomness, and a world where rare events dominate the landscape. Ooh, interesting. Here's the quote. The fragile wants tranquility. The anti-fragile grows from disorder. And the robust doesn't care too much. Nelly, I love the quote. I think you covered everybody in the universe. Tell me, what does this have to do with looking <laughs> backwards and forwards for finance and risk professionals? you got to help me with this one, Nelly. Go ahead. Happy to do so. So I like this quote um, from Nassim Taleb because a lot of it and parts of his books as well are incredibly relevant today. He was quite prescient in terms of what chaotic environment we're going to have to deal with. Um, today, we don't use the word anti-fragile commonly, but we do mm-hmm. use the shorthand of it. We say agility. Mm-hmm. And agility is a critical concept for finance uh, in driving the organization's ability to sense, uh, sense change and respond with speed. We have fast-changing uh, fast environment, new technologies, new business models, uh, fierce competition, so companies have to respond at great speed. Um, so not just by being insulated from risk, but also by benefiting from um, the disorder, as, as uh, Nassim Taleb has said. The one part of his quote that I'm a little ambiguous about is the robust doesn't care too much. I don't think that's applicable to us today. Mm-hmm. Um, not caring too much about change is very risky in this environment. Um, perhaps we're talking about uh, an intelligent enterprise that's continued, already built into um, its DNA, the ability to change continuously and learn continuously. But I think agility is critical. It's something we've looked at. It's something that finance is going to have to be uh, driving in the years ahead. Very interesting. I I stumbled over the word anti-fragile. I didn't know whether to force a hyphen in the middle between anti and fragile. I wasn't sure, but I'm glad you equated the anti-fragile with agility. Very interesting. Thank you. Always an interesting quote. You select Nilly. And let's move to Corey Olson. Corey has picked a quote that is very well known and not well known as the source. It's by Graham Wood, and it's called The Change Pace Paradox. It's attributed to Justin Trudeau, to Bill McDermott. 
pyramid. All kinds of people have quoted it at Davos, Davos and other very famous gatherings of intellectual and, and uh, corporate people. Graham Charles Arthur Wood is a Canadian-American journalist who has written for The New Yorker, The American Scholar, The New Republic, Bloomberg Businessweek, Culture and Travel, The Wall Street Journal, and The International Herald Tribune. He's a contributing editor to The Atlantic. Here it is, and this will sound familiar, and then Corey will tell us how he picked it for our topic today. Get ready. The pace of change has never been this fast, yet it will never be this slow again. Corey, fabulous quote. Tell us how you apply it to our topic, please. Yeah, first, but before we even do that, I want to back up to Millie's quote, because I think Millie's yes. quote kind of, in, in turn, links right into what, what mine is all about, about agility and, and change. Um, if you think back, in the, in the, and I'll relate to the science world and I'll go bigger, if I think back a few years, the world of finance and even the world of business operated locally, then it operated regionally, and now it operates globally. And if you think of the pace of change that happened then, or last even 15 years, and the speed was going at, everyone in the world thought it was moving quickly. And mm-hmm. as we look forward to how um, the world of finance operates in the business world, how it is able to um, change from a transactional accounting first base to a planning, budgeting, analytical base to try to drive business and support where it's going to go, the speed of that ability to pull the analysis from the foundational ledgers, I call them, or whether they're cash flows, income statements, balance sheets, and being able to analyze that and be able to provide responses and analysis that will drive business decisions across a global market where you're operating in a 24-hour cycle versus a regional market where you're within your time zone, whether it's United States, Europe, wherever it may be. That that rate of change and how do you stay ahead of the curve, being an agile organization, be able to sense change and be able to see it coming off of what you've learned historically, but also realizing that the new that's coming is, is um, there's new waters, so to speak, that people haven't had to migrate or navigate before in the business world. So that, that pace of change and being able to stay ahead of it or at least with it um, will continue to speed up. And, and how do we, within the finance world, use technology and process change to keep the finance professional and um, the corporate world far enough ahead to be able to succeed. Thank you very much. Very interesting observation, Corey, and I wonder how many of us at various stages in our lives have made this comment. Dang, things are changing fast. Wow, I can't keep up with it. And then we realize that was just just a, a drip of what's coming next, that it, that it was compared to what's coming next. Uh, my mom, who passed away two years ago, lived to 100 years, one month and 15 days. Can you imagine the changes she saw in the century she was alive and how the war she lived through? the technology and she had a computer she went through a mac we gave her didn't like that we gave her a pc hated that we put her back on the mac she had a cell phone she could text she could listen to my radio shows online can you imagine the pace of change for somebody who saw technologies the early televisions and the first cars and the first telephones all part of technology any thoughts on that Corey? yeah i I think it's a perfect example i'll even relate it back further than that um Back when I was in high school, I remember having a business teacher, and I still remember to this day him standing in front of the room saying, um, eventually all of you that are carrying currency or cash within your mm-hmm. your purse, your wallet, your pocket, eventually give it 20 years and nobody will hardly carry any cash because it will all be electronic. And I remember the room just kind of laughing at him thinking he was kidding. <laughs> Today, yep. how many people in the world carry cash with them? My dad does because he's old-fashioned that way. He likes to have with them all the time, but it's debit card, credit card. 
and you're yep. moving money and transferring it instantly. It's not about carrying cash or checks and floating that money across the banking system to, to actually conduct business. So that's one that always sticks with me of a, of a big change that I thought back then was a crazy thought, and now it's just part of our world every day. Absolutely, but I remember the time when we were going to go to a paperless society when it came to money, and we still do have paper money, and we still do have we checks. We still so have it. We still have it. We use very but differently, it's, but we still have it. it. We actually do, and the only reason I carry cash is for tips when I get a massage or a haircut, or uh, the cleaning ladies came and I tipped them some cash for the holidays, and I just go to the ATM and get 20s for whatever combination I need for people who need to have that hands it to them as a gift or as a thank you or, or some way where a check just won't do it and they don't accept credit cards. We'll leave that one on the table. Holiday generosity. Michael Emerson waiting so patiently. <laughs> Michael has sent us a wonderful quote from a young lady at age 16 who has captured the attention of the whole world. Not only has she captured the attention as an environmental activist on climate change, but she already has been named a fellow of the Royal Scottish Geographical Society. Michael blew my mind. Of course, I'm talking about Greta Thunberg. Her full name is Greta Tintin Eleonora Ernman Tunberg, and she carries the honorary letters FRSGS, which I had to look up. She was born in 2003. She is making an impact all over the world, and she is wagging her finger at adults who do not pay attention to climate change. She's saying it's your fault, and you better do something about it. So here is the quote from, who thought we would be, we would be taking a 16-year-old, giving her an elevated title like that, and quoting her on a radio show, Michael. Seriously, here's the quote, and it's a beautiful one. The moment we decide to fulfill something, we can do anything. Michael Emerson, tell me what this has to do with our topic today. Well, I like this quote, I mean, for many reasons. I mean, firstly, obviously, she's an inspiration. But I thought for this, for this, in this context, um, it, it shows that no matter how big the challenge is, right, um, you can break it down and you can achieve it. Um, and and. Putting it into the enterprise space, I mean, we have some monumental challenges we're trying to solve. And, and I align this to some of the, how do you break down a specific business objective and, and align an organization to be able to achieve it. Uh, and this is, this is why I chose it. I mean, I, I love the quote. And I, and I think that um, too often uh, we get put off by some of these, you know, more ambitious, you know, what we call maybe a moonshot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a shame. Right. Because I think if you really understand the problem and break it down into components where all the different areas of the business can understand how they can impact and, and essentially achieve their specific part without interfering. Um, you know, you, you hear that term, you know, a siloed organization very often, but it, mm-hmm. it too often is true where you break a specific objective in down and you have what's called essentially local optimizations to achieve a specific outcome, never really um, doing it because essentially what you're looking for is a global optimization. And trying to achieve that, it is hard. Um, and trying to align incentives to do that is hard. And that is why I chose that quote. So I, I think it reflects that, especially in what we're trying to do with um, uh, enterprise performance management and planning. I think I like it. Thank you, Michael. I like it, too. And it's a real motivational quote for anybody of any age in any profession. Would you agree to that? These are words to live by? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. 
Yes, thank you. Very inspirational. I think this is the second or third time Greta Thunberg has been quoted on a Game Changers radio show. She certainly is making the rounds of impressionable people who can articulate thoughts that we can all embrace. I like that. Thank you very much. Now we're going to get to know our panelists just a little bit more up close and personal. So we'll start with Nilly Asades at the Hacker Group. Nilly, where are you calling from today? We don't need the Google Map coordinates of the roof of your house or your office. We're not going to come get you. We just want to know in general... What part of the world? I had a guest once say they were in the Western Hemisphere. I thought that was charming. Where are you today? And the holidays are just about 21 days away, New Year's Eve. So anything on ice yet for holiday celebration? Nilly, talk to me. Yes. So um, I'm calling um, uh, from Salem, Oregon, in the Pacific Northwest, which is a beautiful place to be, except uh, the weather here during this time of year is very dreary. Um, it's foggy, so foggy outside, I can almost see myself in a reflection in the window. Um, but I've been here for about 20 years after living in New York for a long time, settled into the different pace and really love the beautiful view that I have uh, from, the, from my office window. And I telecommute to work, which is based in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, we do have something on ice, actually. And I think it's literally on in the fridge already, um, a magnum bottle of argyle bubbly. So mm. it's a champagne, but you can not call it champagne because it's not from France, but it's sparkling wine, and it's probably, if you know anything about Oregon, you know that it's a bigger oh, yes. wine country. Um, it's an excellent, excellent uh, vin- uh, vineyard. It's called argyle, and they make the best sparkling wine I've ever had. So we have a very large bottle of that that we're going to share with friends at a New Year's Eve party. Very interesting. I'm looking up Argyle Vineyard in Oregon. They're located in Dundee, uh, zip code 97115, Willamette Valley Vineyards in Oregon. You know I lived in Eugene for many years, Nilly. I think you remember that. So I was not drinking wine back in those days, but this looks very, very interesting. They craft award-winning sparkling Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and others while retaining the essence of their home in Oregon's Willamette Valley. And Oregon is is pronounced Oregon, not Oregon. I had to learn that when I moved there. And the Willamette Valley is not the Willamette Valley. It's the Willamette Valley. So there. If anybody (laughs) wants to look it up, go to Argyle, A-R-G-Y-L-E. Interesting name. I know people who probably still have Argyle socks and argyle sweaters we'll leave that one on the table thank you nilly appreciate that reference Corey olson where are you today and what are you planning to drink over the holidays any part of the holidays or all of them talk to me yeah wonderful right now i'm actually sitting in waltham massachusetts so just outside oh. of boston um in in the work period today uh this week with a customer of ours i um i myself am actually located in minnesota uh, I was born and raised in the northwest corner. So when it comes to the holidays for myself, my family, if you think, was very traditional. Lots of coffee, lots of uh, ciders, things like that. And by cider, I mean, you know, um, cinnamon cider, things like that to try and, and bring in the holiday cheer. Over time, as I've traveled throughout uh, the U.S. and Europe, I've kind of taken upon myself to broaden my family's horizons. Um, mm-hmm. So my, my role in our Christmas party is always to supply the wine. 
right? <laughs> so I take I take that on, and it is. And and my family love has it. never really had the taste, never really had the taste buds for wine. Um, so I've been bringing different kinds over time. I always have a red, I have a white, um, and I've come to learn with my family that that unlike what Nellie said, I, Nellie said I don't have a particular vineyard or winery that I select from, but they very much have it, the sweet wine taste buds. So a lot of Zinfandels, a lot of Chardonnays, um, and I actually have a local um, uh, local store by my house that I go into and, and speak to them and explain to them where I'm going, and I let them pick out 10, 12 bottles uh, that I bring up, and then it becomes a taste testing after that. But oh, for me, nice. when it goes on, there's always a couple bottles of Cabernet. That's my wine of choice. Um, when we have the holiday uh, events going on, and, and that's what I enjoy for myself. But I like to take it on my family to expand their horizons past their, uh, their normal uh, coffee and ciders. Very nice. I like that a lot. Well, good for you. It sounds like you take your your wine supply part of the family celebration very seriously. I appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you to your colleagues at Truqua who are retweeting my tweets. I appreciate that. Michael Emerson, where are you today? And tell us a little bit about yourself. What are you going to be doing for the holidays in terms of beverages? So, firstly, I'm currently in a small German town called Waldorf, which is near Heidelberg, mm-hmm. about an hour south of Frankfurt. Um, and for the holidays, I'll be going to Switzerland. Um, my, a, lot of part, a large part of my family live in Switzerland. Um, and if you know Switzerland well, uh, on Lake Geneva, uh, mm-hmm. in the canton of Vaux, um, you get some very good wine. Um, so there are kind of two drinks I would like to uh, maybe mention. Um, so I guess, you know, either white or red wine, I'm not going to name a specific vineyard um, from either Vaux or Valais in Switzerland. I enjoy drinking over Christmas. Um, but also I enjoy whiskey because I have a Scottish background as well. So Carlisle um, goes down very nicely too. Mm-hmm. Very, very nice. Very interesting. Thank you for calling in. We could have called you. I know you are, if you're in Waldorf, that's SAP home, home place. That's, uh, that's the mothership in Waldorf. Very interesting. I wanted to get back to Corey. I think you mentioned, uh, where in Massachusetts did you say? I right now am in the town of Waltham. Okay, I lived in Cambridge. We're ticking off the boxes of my world tour. I lived in Cambridge for several years in North Cambridge and have fond memories of tightly knit little neighborhoods where three generations of families lived in the same house. We would have the mother and father on the main floor, her parents on the second floor, and the young children on the third floor, or some combination thereof. Very, very interesting. So I know that part of uh, of Massachusetts very well. Thank you to the three of you. You know what? I'm going to give you all a break. You've been working so hard and thinking so hard and speaking so intelligently and articulately. I'm going to give you a 90-second break. So if you're just tuning in, this is Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio, finishing up Season 8 in great glory with three excellent, articulate panelists talking about what happened in 2019 and what's going to happen, we hope, in 2020. We have Nilly Asades at the Hackett Group. We have Corey Olson at Truqua and Michael Emerson, not the actor, but he's acting so well on the radio today at SAP. Calling all the way from Waldorf, Germany. And we're talking about 2019 Reflections on a Year in Finance, Collaborative Planning and Risk. And I have to do a shout out to Chris Grundy at SAP, who is again going to be sponsoring this series in 2020, along with his colleagues Birgit Starmans. And this year we had Melanie McCold as one of our sponsors and Diana Heim. So we're going to take a quick break and don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, because when we come back, we're going to do a deep dive into what we think really happened in 2019 in finance and risk and what 
our panelists think is going to happen next year, which is the start of a new decade. Woohoo! Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4 HANA, powered by SAP, is a part of SAP S4 HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP S4 HANA Finance draws upon innovative in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4 HANA Finance at SAP.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? You're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. And we're back and we're talking today about 2019, reflecting back on a year in finance, collaborative planning and risk. And we're also dipping our toe into the waters of what's coming up the road, down the pike, whatever direction you're looking at, at 2020. My special guests are Nilia Sadies at the Hackett Group, Corey Olson at Truqua, and Michael Emerson at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie. So here we go. Nilly told me the following in her notes before the show. And this is a combination of looking forward and looking back. I'll just read a little bit, Nilly and then ask you to take about two and a half minutes and tell us what this all means. So Nilly says, finance is facing a dual mandate for 2020. It must increase cost efficiency while supporting enterprise growth strategies. And then she looks back and says, in 2019, margin improvement was company's number one business objective. Nilly, please expand for us. Certainly. So um, when we look at finance, so last year and next year, one of the most important things that pops up in our research looking forward is that the enterprise, the companies are mandating finance organizations to do two things. They're expecting finance to help them optimize their cost structure, and, and a lot of it has to do with potential economic instability or even a recession. Cost cutting is, big, is a big issue. Um, but at the same time, they and, and very close behind, they're expecting finance to help support growth strategies. So we have this dichotomy, um, and this is something that's kind of new and hasn't shown up a lot in research before, where finance was mostly about cost, um, cost efficiency and not so much about value contribution. That's changing, and I think that's aligned with what Bonnie was saying earlier on about finance being a uh, change agent. Mm-hmm. Moving forward, finance is going to be much more of an advisor, strategic advisor to the business, a business partner. So it, um, it's going to help the organization um, grab on the, and become agile. And this is very important within the agility context we're di- discussing. 
Um, being just a low-cost operator as an organization is just not enough. Um, companies have to continuously uh, invest in product and service innovation if they want to maintain their competitive advantage. Um, and then cost-cutting and growth are not mutually exclusive. And from a finance perspective, we're going to see a lot more automation of routine processes. And then the redeployment of staff and capacity to focus and create on value creating activities like supporting enterprise growth. Thank you, Nilly. Very interesting. I like the dual looking forward and backward, different changing mandates for finance. Let's see what Corey Olson at Truqua has to say. Corey, agree or disagree with anything or everything Nilly said, please. I actually agree with what Nilly said. I, I, when I look back, um, to being a finance professional, everything was about how do you how do you spend less to grow faster? How do you spend less to maximize a margin? And a lot of focus on margin. And and the hard part is you can't cost cost cut yourself into growth, right? The two just mm-hmm. don't play hand in hand. They're not independent to one another. So what you see is going forward, in order to grow, you have to invest, but you have to look at the investment on the product side, the service side, but you also have to look at the investment on I'll call it the back office side and their ability to deliver the information that they need to enable the growth factors. So everybody will look at functionals, and by function, I'm not talking just finance, but other functions within the business, whether it's technology, HR, legal, et cetera. And, 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 and there was such a focus on what's the cost of that organization to deliver what they need to deliver upon to make uh, a corporation grow. That's changing uh, over time, and it it's changing in the view to be how is that an investment into the growth of our products, into our growth of our new market. Um, without that support and the ability to understand, you can't make that leap. The other thing that's come across is the finance profession, when it, it's enabling that perspective, is people have come to appreciate that finance professionals don't typically know just about finance. They have to understand the end-to-end mm-hmm. business to be able to do the analysis needed for the growth, right? So understanding how does a plant work, how does a resale business work, how do you connect that consumption of a good or service all the way out to the profitability side to understand are you growing into the right markets? Or maybe it's an answer where that's not the right market and you need to pivot and, and, and decide which way or which area you want to grow into next. Thank you. Very interesting. Michael Emerson, please join us. A lot of interesting thoughts on the table. What do you, where do you sit or stand on all of this? So and this is a very interesting point. From, from my perspective, I'd like to bring in the element of time, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're looking to cut costs, right, you can obviously increase your margin in, in the short term, which might be great, right, for that perspective. Um, but if you can articulate your strategy well, right, to stakeholders in the business, where if you want to invest, right, in the future innovation, that's typically going to reduce your margin in the short term, right? You're not, you're going to have to reinvest in the business before you're going to then be able to increase the margin in the long term. I mean, look at what uh, Amazon essentially has done. I mean, their operating margin was quite small, but their growth strategy was huge um, and people are investing in it, right? So the question is, um, how do you do that balance of reinvesting into the innovation areas while trying to understand what your return on investment is and articulating that out to the stakeholders while at the same time managing the cost? And it's kind of a balancing act. And I think it's um, one thing where the CFO can really play that, uh, that strategic role um, effectively in that overall timeline. Thank you very much. Nelly, anything you want to add before I move on here? Well, just uh, one point that I think um, 
was just brought up and I think makes a lot of sense is we're looking at, we're talking about support functions, GNA functions, having been in the past, the immediate target of cost-cutting measures. That's where companies went first. Um, but there's a change in perception, and I hope um, continues to change, and it seems to be going on um, on a forward-looking basis, of the GNA functions as not just a cost center, but a value center, an area mm. that can provide value through things, um, as you just mentioned, analytics, um, business performance, and business analysis, um, coming up with ideas on how to generate growth while intelligently cutting costs. So I think the GNA functions in general, not just finance, are going to become more of a value driver and less of an area where you just want to slash costs. Thank you very much, Nilly. Uh, Corey, I'm moving on to your notes here. When I was going to talk about your statement, let me just read this, but it's not where I want to go. You say corporate data has evolved. It's no longer owned and managed solely by finance. However, its accuracy for financial reporting has never been more critical. I just want to leave that on the table, but I'm going to jump down to your fifth statement you sent me before the show, Corey, because this, I think, is very exciting. You say the speed of mergers and acquisitions is driving change within the finance profession. How corporations adapt, simplify complex technology and resources has direct impact on the ability to maintain pace with change. Corey, this is exciting. You want to talk to us about M&A? What's this doing with finance? Yeah, absolutely. When you think about M&A, one of the topics always comes up and probably hasn't given a lot of light to it. People look and we just talked about growth, right? And whether it's a merger or an or, or an acquisition that you're in, in the market to place. Everybody talks about the future growth in products, the future growth in uh, margin, return, value, revenue, um, and then how to hold that same cost structure. One of the things that gets looked over is the complexity that comes into the finance organization to provide analysis, to perform those balance sheet uh, reconciliations, to set the foundation of what needs to happen. Because when you bring in a merger, or you acquire a different company, you in turn bring in their architecture, right? So now you've taken mm-hmm. whatever model you were using today to actually drive and do your FP&A and planning and budgeting work, and now you're adding a whole other architecture to piece. And how do you take that new foundation and that new technology and bring it into your to your current systems? Because it'll bring in a complexity, right? Because different things are set up within the system a different way, and you need to somehow either do... Uh, some kind of a join or some kind of an analysis to bring all that together. Or the other alternative is how can I take those complex structures, simplify them in in a more, um, well, in a faster, more efficient way, cost-effective way, take that complexity, bring it into a tool that will, in essence, harmonize you and enable your FBA people to not have to dig through the weeds and the grass every single time mm-hmm. to try to find the numbers they're looking for, but actually be able to um, consolidate that on a level that keeps the, the acquisition successful, makes it happen on time, and then you're able to take that data and run your new business structure more effectively. So when I talk about the complexity of change and how it's impacting the science profession, is finance people, again, are not only have to stay within the model that they're used to from a system perspective, but they need to adapt to the new and understand how to take that new architecture that comes in, ingest it into their business, and keep moving forward without hitting too much of a, a dip in in their productivity. Thank you. Very interesting perspective. Michael Emerson, please join us. Comments on what Corey Olson just shared? 
Yeah, I mean, mergers and acquisition is, is, is a great place for innovation at the moment. Um, you were mentioning data structures, right, and, and how to bring these, these together. And it's the alignment of both on the accounting structure and the organizational structure with the different data structures that you need to understand with a merger and acquisition. Um, before you even go through a merger and acquisition, there's the whole pro forma case, right? So how do you mm-hmm. um, quickly assess um, uh, a merger or an acquisition? How can you understand where the synergies are, right? And this is um, a great use case for machine learning as well. Um, and applying that to different data structures um, and then understanding how um, two businesses can work effectively together or come together. Um, and then, obviously, then the second phase in terms of actually then go executing on it and then aligning these two businesses to then function and then to bring these um, structures together. Um, it's an interesting, really interesting space. And I think we're going to see a lot of it in the next couple of years, um, some real innovations coming through to the market. Thank you. Great observation. Nilia Sadies, please join us. Thoughts? Yes, um, a couple um, based and sort of reactions to Corey and Michael's um, mm-hmm. comments. One is that this um, growing through acquisitions uh, presents a huge problem, as we were saying, in the access to data, and that's um, a huge enabler of finance transformation into the next generation finance function. Um, I work with a company that uh, basically appointed finance as the head of a work stream as part of a global initiative to transform the organization to look at data from multiple, um, based on the silos that have been created through multiple acquisitions and layering some kind of a modern data platform that would allow um, the company to pull everything together so that finance and others can run the business analysis they need to run um, based on everybody's information. So uh, you basically break down those silos. The other interesting aspect, I think, is the cost of complexity. So um, I looked into that a a year or so ago and just uh, ran through our benchmarking database and looked at what happens to the cost of finance and the quality of the service of finance if there it has more if the function has more systems than other functions if it has more legal entities if it has more cash accounts basically the idea was to measure the cost impact of different kinds of complexity on the finance process and we found a huge difference between organizations with uh, less system complexity and ones with greater system complexity, something around 70% in the cost of the finance process. And I think that has become uh, more and more uh, an issue for companies to overcome because when we ask companies what the biggest hurdle to transformation um, that they face today, the number one and two issues were system complexity and organizational complexity. And both of those can be an outcome of very rapid M&A activity. Thank you very much. Uh, Corey, any quick comments back to either one of your co-panelists, or am I, can I move on to Michael? No, I, I, the only part I can put, I, what Neely said about disparate systems, right, that it's a cost structure that's hard to bear. And it's a, it's a, I, that's what's bringing down that that cost to serve, and then Michael, when you're talking about um, uh, data standards, um, that goes hand in hand with the complexity. So, so those those are obstacles in in, in the MA, M&A world. I think a lot of people don't 
kind of take for granted, except for those people that live it every day. Thank you very much. Michael Emerson, I'm looking at your notes. You have a lot of really interesting topics here about going forward for companies, not specifically about finance, but let's see what you want to say about this one. I'm looking at your first one. You say providing stability through uncharted waters is the new focus for many managers today. There are so many new economic, social, and environmental factors to be accounted for. It's hard to keep course. So how does this apply to the finance and the office of the CFO? Michael Emerson, talk to us. So the reason the reason I made this statement um, is because every decision, you know, has an impact beyond our own area, right, within our silo. Uh, and that goes for the other areas as well. So if I'm thinking about, if I'm trying to um, essentially steer a company or launch a new product or, you know, take any strategic decision, the not only is the economic context obviously rapidly changing, I mean, we've got uh, interest rates um, incredibly low. Um, uh, we've, you know, even going negative, you would think we'll create some kind of crazy scenarios, but it hasn't. Um, and actually, some, t- some of the things we thought we would see predicted um, this year have not happened, right? We thought we would see, for example, an increase in inflation, but actually it's been the opposite. We've seen a deflationary effect. Mm. Um, so, for example, with the quantitative, quantitative easing, I don't want to go too much into that, but that's just an example of an external factor that is actually hard to read, right, as you're trying to plan um, for your business. Um, so whether it changes on the commodity markets, whether you're trying to plan, as I said, if you're trying to develop a new product in a new country and you want to take in all, everything into account, such as exchange rates, such as trying to find um, the right workforce, such as um, getting the right uh, infrastructure in place and looking at both your OPEX and CAPEX, to, and there are so many factors. Um, and today, as we're trying to you know, leverage machine learning, as we're trying to um, build out new models, it seems like how do you understand which factors to take into account as you're trying to provide some stability and some you know, consistency uh, for, your, you know, for your business to, to move forward? Because you can't change your organization every month, right? You have to be able mm-hmm. to have some kind of stability um, to, ach- to achieve something, um, even though there's, you know, there's so many things changing around it. And that is why I simply made that statement. Thank you very much. It's, it's a great statement on a very important global level for businesses uh, of every industry. Nilly, why don't you comment on what Michael said, and then we will have Corey chime in. We have time before our predictions round. So, Nilly, go ahead, join us. Um, sure. So, I... Agree and disagree, actually, with okay. uh, with Michael's statement, because I think, yes, there's certainly a value to stability and um, for all the reasons that he just mentioned. But I think the finance functions role in all this is not so much providing stability, but providing the infrastructure, the framework for having some kind of a process in place that deals with instability. Um, for example, continuous planning or dynamic planning where um, the, there's a process that gets kind of overlaid over the periodic planning, periodic forecasting process um, in order to continuously scan for changes in market environment and inform the business in how to change. I agree you cannot change your operations monthly, but you have to be sensitive to the continuous change in the marketplace and have a process 
um, a continuous planning process that mirrors that, uh, a rolling forecasting process. So um, I, I see finance more of an enabler of continuous intelligence and the ability to deal with instability rather than a provider of stability. Thank you very much. Corey, thoughts, agree or disagree? We've got some interesting uh, pro and con here. What do you say? I actually think middle of the road, and I'm going to take this down a whole third topic. So sure. not third topic, but a third view on, on, on uh, mm-hmm. uncharted waters and economic, social, and environmental factors. And I start thinking about the actual finance professionals of the people side, right? So from a manager perspective, there's a new uncharted water and that what, what, what engages a financial professional to stay at your corporation? What, what keeps them there? What drives them to keep moving forward in their careers? And we talk about new technologies coming on all the time, whether they enable growth, whether they, how you deal with planning, whether it's how do you do, how do you handle interest rates and what's the impacts, but how do you keep that talent within your corporation so that you can keep um, making progress, whether it's in a stable environment or it's in one that's in constant change. Because I don't think we'll ever get in an environment where change isn't happening, but change will become normal. Right? There's, you live in something for a long time, it tends to have a normalcy. But what are those things coming in the future that are going to keep the, the new individual out of university or college that's going to want to keep them engaged in, in, in the social environment and climate we live in today versus what it was 15, 20 years ago, it was a very different environment and a very different engagement factor. So not only do you have to deal with those economic items, but I think a big part going forward, and I'm not trying to jump to the, my future prediction, but the big mm-hmm. part going forward is how do, how do you enable the people to stay in the engagement side, want to stay within your company to grow, and then how do they drive their careers? And what, what, what are those key components? Thank you very much. It is time for our predictions round. We call it the crystal ball, and we are going to look ahead. Let's be a very specific prediction from each of you. We'll start with Nilly, then Corey, and then Michael. We'll wrap it up with you. I can give you each 60 seconds. It's a tight 60 seconds, so make it work. Anything except politics, please. Nilly Asadi is looking forward to a brand-new year, a brand-new decade, starting in about 21 days. It's almost here. Nilly, what do you see for 2020 on any spectrum of business, business, Business strategy, technology, go nilly. Um, I'm going to focus on finance and how um, the changes happening going forward are going to impact the function's role and how it performs it. So I think we'll see more and more finance growing into this role as a strategic advisor to the business. Um, it's going to reorient away from transactional activities um, to becoming a partner by better leveraging cross-enterprise views. So the analytics aspect, I think, is going to be critical in the years to come. And we're going to see a lot of activity in the use of AI and machine learning, as we mentioned earlier, in order to help finance um, drive corporate performance. And related to that, um, we also see a change in the way analytics are going to be delivered to the consumers of information. Hmm. Um, Rather than have a centralized center of excellence, for example, um, we see um, and we have data that shows uh, that finance is going to push more and more of that activity and the analytics capability to to the users uh, via self-service tools. Um, This is not back to the old way of completely um, disparate analytics going on in different functions. Rather, it's a way to tap into a single source of less data. 
so that the business can uh, do their own discovery process, um, get the insight they need to move in this digital economy when they need it, rather than waiting in line for somebody to serve it up. Thank you very much. Corey Olson, 60 seconds with your name on them. Go ahead. All right, perfect. Thank you. I, I think my thoughts so nearly took part of mine, but that's okay. I have a different little, slightly different spin. <laughs> I, I think forward, I think you, I Don't apologize, Dilly. It's okay. Uh, that's all right. Um, you're going to see, I will call it a, it almost a look backward to come forward. So um, you you you're going to see more of the finance professional, again, move back. It, what was a business partnering role years ago became transactional, become more of a business partner, business-facing role. I do believe that with machine learning and automation taking care of more of the transactional side of the house, it'll allow that advanced analytics and how you bring the infrastructure to pull harmonized data from multiple sources so that you can see across an organization, whether it's global, whether it's regional, by product line, product center, however it's going to be, and you'll see a focus of the finance professionals start to align to those views, right? And and you'll still have the same global component of the company, but but you'll be able to to um, more align the FP&A or to the business that they're trying to drive so they can st- continue to have that growth upward. And I think that's the big change, but the only way that happens is for this continued growth in machine learning and automation, which, which within the finance world, we think, of that, you think of total corporations, machine learning, automation, people think of plants, right? And it comes mm-hmm. hand in hand with how production is done. Um, within finance, it's more about the finance professional letting go of what they've always known and what they've done and what they've triple checked over and over um, to try to start to understand that as that tool starts to learn and sees more and more data and starts to perform that, they can they can let go a little bit on the control side of the, of the transaction and really start to focus on what drives business. Corey, thank you. I need to give some time to Michael Emerson. I'm teeing you up. 60 seconds, all yours. Go. So I think we're going to see finally kind of an alignment and enablement through the the certain technologies for finance, right? So um, improvements in the database, on data warehousing, um, in the actual application layer itself, right? So we we talk about machine learning, right? Machine learning is like teenage sex. Everyone talks about it, but no one's actually doing it. So I think finally we're going to see technologies come together and companies actually be able to adopt these solutions to be able to actually deliver value to the to the end user. And I don't think it's been we've seen that um, across the board yet. I think it's like with every new technology, everyone talks about it and they're saying that it can be used for all these different scenarios. And then over time, it filters down to the ones that are really going to deliver value. And I think we're going to start seeing that soon coming this year. Thank you, Michael. Great words of wisdom to end by. I appreciate that. I want to thank my three panelists. You're wonderful. I'll name you in one one second. I want to do a shout-out to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire, the man with patience and nerves of steel to be my engineer at the Business Channel, Aaron. And thank you to VP of Technology and Everything Operations at Voice America World Talk Radio, Ryan Treasure. And thank you to the sponsors of this series, Chris Grundy, Birgit Starmans, and we had Diana Heim on board this year, and Melanie Mackhold at SAP. We're looking forward to Season 9 of Financial Excellence with Game Changers in 2020. So here's my call to action, and it's a good one. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? We're running out of time in 2019. Do it fast. Go out and be a game changer right now, this very second today. Just like Nilia Sadies at the Hackett Group, just like Corey Olson at Truqua, and just like Michael Emerson, the real Michael Emerson at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Happy holidays all. We'll talk to you in 2020. Tomorrow is my prediction special on technology 
technology revolution, the future of now, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Business Channel. 12 experts talk to you then. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO. And join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel. Wishing you a game-changing week.